0: to see you all this morning, a little chillier today than it was yesterday, but it's up and down with the weather. While we're um, continuing our series through uh, the life of Christ, trying to uh, come to some sort of understanding of the the chronology of the events of the life of Christ, Uh, we began his first ministry last time which was maybe two or three weeks ago. Um, So we're going to be revisiting it uh, this week and hopefully wrapping up his first year of ministry. And next week we'll we'll start into his second year. But before we look at this, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you thankful, O Lord, for uh, this day you have given us. We thank you for your mercies, which are new every morning, That every morning we wake up, we are reminded that you are God who is faithful to his covenant promises. Lord, we we thank you for this Sabbath day you have given us, and the rest it will afford us. Lord, we pray that you would spiritually feed us on this day, that we might be encouraged in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, to that end, we pray that you'd be blessing this uh, uh, Sunday school hour, that as we look at the life of our Savior, Lord, we would be encouraged in his, his power and his might and his ability to speak that we would be reminded that he is indeed uh, both very God and very man. And uh, Lord, we pray that our study here would, would uh, uh, be a blessing to us. Uh, go with us in this hour, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last time I made mention of how the Gospel of John is one of... Well, it's, it's the Gospel that really uh, tells us that Christ's uh, ministry spanned about three years uh, because there's at least three different references to the Passover, um, and you know, uh, Passover being uh, a yearly uh, occurrence, and uh, we see those references in in John 2:13, John 6:4, and John 11:5. Uh, John 2:13 being at the start of of Christ's uh, earthly ministry, uh, John 6:4 seemingly in really in the in the middle of it, and John 11:55. Uh, being the, the Passover week um, in which uh, Christ would be crucified. There's a few other uh, feasts that are referenced in the Gospel of John. We have um, an ambiguous feast called the Feast of the Jews in John 5.1. Uh, then we have the Feast of uh, the Tabernacles in John 7.2, and the Feast of Dedication in John 10.22. Uh, the Feast of Dedication being uh, Hanukkah, uh, likely the Feast of the Tabernacles being that uh, feast uh, whereby the Jews would uh, remember their years of pilgrimage in the wilderness, and they would make, uh, it's otherwise known as, you know, the Feast of Booze, where they would uh, make little uh, uh, temporary dwellings for them to live in for that week. And uh, we're told, we're going to be picking up our our examination of the life of Christ this morning in John 5, John chapter 5, where we read uh, that after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So, you know, we saw last that Jesus was in uh, the region of Galilee, he was ministering there, and now he goes back to Jerusalem for uh, a nondescript feast of the Jews. Um, and I'll just remind you that. Um, the the, uh, Israelite males were called to go to the temple, to the place where the Lord dwelt at least three times a year and they would have to go for the feast of Pentecost uh, or the feast of of first fruits Uh, um, during the harvest. They'd have to go Uh, for the Feast of Passover, and they would have to go for the Feast of Tabernacles. All of those feasts, the Israelite male had to be in in Jerusalem. So we find Jesus in Jerusalem for this Feast of the Jews. I I personally think that this is likely um, the Feast of Tabernacles that uh, Jesus... Uh, is attending here in Jerusalem and I'll get to some reasons for that in a little bit here. But Jesus is in uh, Jerusalem um, and we're told that uh, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda uh, means uh, house of grace and house of mercy and this was a pool where uh, the... uh, Those who were injured, those who were sick would go, and they would wait for an angel to come and stir the water, and whoever was first in the water, the Lord would miraculously heal. Now, um, we see here, um, um, this here is is likely the... uh, example of what the structure around the pool of Bethesda is, this is um, one of the arches that we find are still standing to this day with the pool of, of Bethesda, and then um, the pool is located right here, so it's on the northern uh, end of, of Jerusalem, northern end of the, uh, just a little north of the temple complex, so that's where that pool is, is located. And uh, Jesus is there, we're told very descriptively, it has five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And we're told that there was a certain man there who had an infirmity 38 years so we're not told how old he is. We're simply told he had an infirmity for 38 years. And for 38 years, we can imagine him longing to be healed of this. And Jesus sees him lying there. And uh, uh, we're told, John tells us that our, our Savior knew his condition even before he, he said it. Our Savior knows all things. And uh, Jesus, it says here that... Um, Jesus knew that he had already been in the condition a long time. And Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, "Uh, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately uh, the man was healed and he arose and walked. Now, uh, this is a matter of some controversy uh, with the uh, Pharisees, um, because, um, uh, Jesus did uh, this miracle on, on the Sabbath day. He did it on, on the day in which there was to be no work. And to, Jesus told this man to, to, to take up his bed and walk And according to uh, the laws that the scribes and Pharisees had created. It was a sin to, to move your bed on, on the Sabbath day. Yes, Valeska. Uh, this is John 5. So, um, specifically about the Sabbath, it's in verse 16. So, um, um, that's a a matter of of some uh, controversy, and uh, the Jews confront uh, Jesus about this, and Jesus very directly states that he and his Father are one. He and God are one. And that leads us to likely what happens next, uh, a week later, where the disciples are, are picking wheat on the Sabbath and in Luke 6. Uh, Luke 6 says, now it happened on the second Sabbath, after the first, that he went through the grain fields. So... Um, um, this could potentially put it around Pentecost, uh, you know, as the time of harvest when grain grain would be plucked, or else it's around uh, the feast of Tabernacles. And um, Luke's phrasing here is curious, and and tr- translators have uh, a very difficult time. I'll try to figure out what is he meaning, just that phrase. Now, it happened on the second Sabbath after the first. Why why, why is he so uh, descriptive about the type of Sabbath it is? Um, And I I wonder if it's uh, because this might be a reference to um, the Feast of Tabernacles. in the Feast of uh, Tabernacles had uh, started on a Sabbath and it would end, end on a Sabbath. Uh, we read that in, in Leviticus uh, 23, 33 through 36, which I'll just read here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The 15th day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. For seven days, you shall offer an offering made by fire uh, to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation, and you shall offer customary work on it. Maybe this is uh, what uh, uh, Luke is referencing in just his, his very uh, specific wording. It's, it's a possibility. I'm not arguing this is the definitive uh, definition, but... Um, um as, as we one of the difficulties with um reading all these gospel accounts is trying to piece together uh, uh, something of, of a chronology and uh, um uh, I, I think what we have is um Christ has has numerous encounters with the Pharisees on consecutive Sabbaths where he's, he's now performing wonders and miracles on, on the Sabbath. Because uh, we have Luke 6, uh, them picking wheat on the Sabbath, and then uh, also in, in Luke 6, Jesus heals uh, a withered hand on the next Sabbath. And um, um, Christ very uh, visibly declaring that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, speaking against the institutions of men and how they were dictating that the Sabbath had to be observed with their very uh, stringent uh, requirements. Read in Luke uh, 6, 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. Um, and then uh, the, the response of the Jews to these miracles that are occurring on the Sabbath is that uh, they plot, they have their initial plot to try to kill Jesus. And this is what Mark uh, 2 records for us. And the Pharisees went and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him. And I'll just stop there. And, and it, Mark seems to be implying that this miracle is taking place in Jerusalem, um, because of that specific mention of the Herodians. The Herodians are there, and the Jews are able to to plot with the Herodians how they might destroy him. But Jesus uh, withdrew from. I would argue, Jerusalem uh, to the sea. They're going back up to Galilee after everything that's occurred in in Jerusalem after this feast of the Jews. And we read that great multitude from Galilee follow him and from Judea and Jerusalem, so those southern portions, and Idumea, which is, remember, uh, where Herod the Great is from. It's that uh, more Edomite uh, territory. And beyond the Jordan, then we also read, and from Tyre and Sidon, um, and so Jesus' name is, is definitely being voiced abroad and it seems like there's a migration of people especially from the south and a little bit from from uh, the northwest uh, where Tyre and Sidon are um, coming to, uh, to Jesus in Galilee so after Jesus has um, performs these wonders on the Sabbath he goes up into a mountain and uh, he prays. He prays for the Lord to um, uh, seemingly grant him wisdom uh, in calling the the twelve disciples. And um, um, we, we've looked at how he's he likely already knows many of these disciples. We spoke last time of how he he calls the, the four fishermen. He's spoken with uh, Matthew. He's gone to uh, Matthew's house and uh, uh, spoken with the Jews there. And now we have the very formal calling of these 12 men to be his disciples prior now he calls them formally to his disciples mark 3:13 uh, says and he went up on a mountain and called to him those he himself wanted and they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and so very specifically setting aside these 12 for ministry after he calls them, he, uh, Luke records that he uh, goes throughout Galilee and performs uh, uh, many different miracles and wonders throughout the region of Galilee. And that leads us to the next uh, major event. Well, I'll just highlight here on this uh, before I get there. Highlight here. I'll uh, just uh, see here. Peter and Andrew are, are uh, brothers. Uh, James and John are brothers um, and then we're just told that the parents of, of uh, James and Don, they're the sons of Zebedee, and James is the son of Alphaeus. Um, and and um, so uh, we just see there um, the, the, the 12 disciples. All right. Any questions so far? Oh, uh, so there's two two different Simon's. So there's Simon Peter, and then there's Simon of uh, uh, Canaan. Um So just differentiating that this is uh, a different uh, Simon. Oh, uh, that's Bonajer's. Uh, so uh, another. Um, I don't. I'm not exactly sure what uh, the three um, people underneath here represent. I don't know. Anyone have any idea? Okay. Uh, I'll have to, need to check my graphics a little a little better. Pull this off of my uh, Logos uh, software. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going by a different there's a different name that they're going by likely. Yeah uh, I, I think you're right there. Yeah, yeah yeah, James and John we' were, were the sons of thunder because they wanted to call down fire upon uh, a city when I didn't uh, uh, respond to, to their preaching. Any other questions? So oh. I was trying, cycle. There are two different lists. So is it Thaddeus that's, no, because then it's the time. Yeah. So, Yeah, I think we have a list here. yeah yeah so here uh, in Matthew chapter 10 and when he had called his 12 disciples to him he gave them power so this is just just so we're clear this is a different event than Christ calling the 12 disciples on the mountain so this happens later on in Christ's life but for the sake of answering this question here uh, we're in Matthew 10 And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases. And the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. And Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus. Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot who also betrayed him. So, there, uh, uh, that's, this is his, his tribe, or this is, uh, his, he's emphasizing he's, he's a Canaanite. So, in other words, uh, uh, possibly a, a Gentile. Or of some Gentile uh, background. Yeah. And this is also Simon the Zealot as well, that's another name he goes by. I guess my question is um when you're saying the twelve disciple the first teacher, you know, would you Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 after Jesus goes up the mountain and prays for he wants to make his 12 disciples like I said he does miracles in Galilee and then he has the, the sermon on the mount this is in Matthew uh, five through seven, one of Christ's more notable teachings. I, I'm not going to, as I'm working through this this life of Christ, I'm not necessarily focusing heavily on his teachings. So we're not going to spend a huge amount of time uh, talking about uh, the Sermon on the Mount unless you had specific questions about it. Um, this is the the Mount of Beatitudes. Um, Um, Right by the Sea of Galilee. And this is uh, historically the mound that um, is believed to be where Christ uh, gave this sermon. Um, There's a a bit of uh, a controversy. Because as I'm sure some of you are aware. We have the, the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel according to Matthew. And then Luke tells us of a Sermon on a Plain. And there is a good deal of similarity between these uh, two sermons. And there's sort of the question of, 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 are these the same sermon? and Matthew and Luke both recording different emphases in the sermon? Or are these two, uh, two different sermons given at two different uh, times in which Christ um, taught... Um, 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 much of the same content, but in in a different manner. And I I would tend to lean uh, certainly towards uh, these are two different sermons given at two different times. Uh, I think the fact that it's specifically the Sermon on the Mount that's uh, that's emphasizing Christ is in an elevated place as he's teaching it. That's uh, some who argue it's the same thing that uh, Matthew and Luke are talking about, would say, well, uh, we can get rid of that difficulty with the Sermon on the Plain because um, uh, Christ would have gone to uh, um, uh, maybe a more flat part on, on the mountain. And uh, But uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily satisfied with that. And just that there is... While much of the content between the Sermon on the Plain and the Sermon on the Mount are the same, there's still some fundamental differences between those sermons. And um, uh, that, that's one reason I would very much argue that these are two, two different sermons. Yes, very similar, um, but um, uh, two different sermons given in two different uh, times and locations. But it could be... One is very shortly after the other, um, just in terms of the chronology of, of the life of Christ. But any questions on, on the Sermon on the Mount? Yes. So, what? Where do you find the Sermon on the Mount? That's in Luke six, I believe, towards the end of Luke six. Yeah, uh, Luke six twenty and following. So as Jesus comes down from uh, uh, giving the sermon on the mount, a great we're told that a great multitude followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshipped him, and uh, sought to uh, be cleansed of his leprosy, and uh, our Lord heals that leper after. Um, now this is just another. Uh, uh, perspective, this is looking up the mountain, whereas the other uh, picture was looking down down the mountain at the sea. The, the other picture is likely taken from right here, if you're uh, wondering. So after Christ cleanses a leper, he has uh, Centurion approach him. This is recorded for us in, in Matthew chapter eight. Uh, centurion approaches him. And Christ at this time is in uh, Capernaum, which is really his um, home base, as it were, for his ministry in Galilee. Christ spends uh, the vast majority of his time in Capernaum. And we're told that when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully, tormented. So this is the, the... Uh, uh, the garb of uh, Centurion. This is uh, what what they would wear. Uh, Centurion commanded about 80 men and uh, served uh, his entire career as a professional soldier. They were very well esteemed uh, because they had a lot of actual military experience. Um, um, So... um, this is uh, a man who, who would be uh, at least well respected in terms in, in terms of his his military experience um, and um, we 're told here that Jesus said to This centurion, this Gentile centurion, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And and, um, Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And a servant was healed that same hour. Um, And so um, uh, you see Christ's power and and might and be able to uh, work work this uh, miracle. The next miracle Christ performs is he raises uh, a widow's son uh, in the town of Nain. You see it there on the map. It's just a little south of Nazareth. So this was just here in Capernaum. And he goes uh, down to Nain. and am um, trying to remember where this I believe this is in the Gospel of John. No, sorry, not the Gospel of John. This is in Luke chapter 7, uh, verse 11. Where we're told, now it happened the day after. So this is the day after... Christ had just healed this centurion. Luke is very specific about that, that he went into a city called Nain. So he traveled a a decent distance um, in that day. And we're told many of the disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried away, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Now, if you think back to your Old Testaments, uh, does this remind you of any... particular miracle in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Elisha uh, performed a a very, very similar miracle. Uh, A widow's son had died, and um, Elisha raised uh, him from the dead. Uh, We read that when the Lord saw uh, this widow weeping, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. And then he came and touched the open coffin. So, um, this this person is indeed dead. They're, they're on the way to bury him. Um, and they're likely, well, we're, we're um, told that... Uh, a crowd from the city was with her. Uh, the crowd is, in a sense, they're on the funeral procession down to the graveyards, which would be outside city walls because of laws regarding purity and cleanness. And so he's, he's dead, and there's no doubt about that, and he's going back to be buried. And um, he touched Christ touched the uh, coffin and said, Young man, I say to you, Arise and so he who was dead sat up and began to speak and he was presented to his, his mother and, and um, oh, once again just another testament to Christ's um, power in being able to even raise uh, people from the dead so at this time um, earlier John the Baptist had been arrested um, by Herod Antipas who is the son of Herod the Great who Herod the Great had been alive uh, he had been the, the king at the time that Christ was born died shortly after uh, Christ was born and now Herod Antipas is reigning and Herod Antipas has arrested John the Baptist um, and he arrested him because of his preaching John the Baptist uh, said it was not proper for Herod Antipas to have his brother Philip's wife um, and um, we're told here in, in Luke 7, verse 18, that the disciples of John um, told uh, John the Baptist what things all Jesus was doing. Telling him that oh, Jesus was raising people from the dead uh, and working these, these miracles. And, and John the Baptist asked, you know... Uh, um, is is this the one that is to come? Is this, is this the true Jesus? And uh, uh, Jesus responds and encourages uh, John. He, he responds by saying, "Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard: that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me." And um, Encouraging John to remain steadfast in in his faith. Um, Josephus tells us that uh, John the Baptist was imprisoned in this fortress called Machaerus. Down on the uh, eastern side of of the Dead Sea. This was a a Hasmonean fortress that had been built about 100 years prior uh, this is the place uh, um, that's traditionally uh, held for, for um, where um, uh, John the Baptist was held. And as you can see, it had to make a, a good trek up uh, up to Galilee from, from there. Well, next we um, read that a, a prostitute comes to Jesus and anoints his feet... Um, and we're told that she had an, an alabaster flask of uh, precious uh, oil, fragrant oil, uh, perfume. Uh, this is what an alabaster uh, a flask looks like. Uh, these would have been uh, rather uh, expensive uh, themselves. Just the flask itself, not to mention the cost of, of the fragrant oil. But uh, this prostitute anoints uh, Jesus' feet. And... Um, this happens in the house of, of a Pharisee. Uh, that's what we're told in Luke chapter 7. Uh, this is Luke 7, 36. And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisees and sat down to eat. And uh, we don't know which Pharisee this is. But it, it, it does continue to show us a, a different perspective with, with the Pharisees. We have Pharisees who are, are indeed interested in Christ and interested in the teaching of Christ. There are certainly those Pharisees who are very actively opposing Christ's ministry, but um, men like uh, Nicodemus, uh, um, um, and um, uh, is it Joseph of Arimathea? I think it was another Pharisee. Uh, but you have these Pharisees who are interested in, in the ministry of Christ and are um, um, speaking and dialoguing with with him, although this particular Pharisee um, um, had had some issues certainly with um, with him. I guess this is uh, we actually actually told the name of this Pharisee. It's Simon the Pharisee. Now we're told now when the Pharisee. Himself, saying, "This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said to him, "Simon, I have something to say to you." So, uh, Simon, Simon, the Pharisee. So, and after this miracle, we're, we're told that a good number of women are, are starting to follow Christ. You have Mary Magdalene, who is likely from the town of Magdala. Uh, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee, not far from Capernaum, she is following him. Um, Joanna, the son, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stuart, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. Christ is, is gaining a notable following. One of uh, uh, christ 's very distinctive styles of teaching was uh, the parables. And Luke recounts for us. Sorry, Mark recounts for us. In Mark four, many many of the parables Christ was teaching around this time. I don't want to say uh, too much about those. Um, but uh, uh, certainly, want to take note that Christ is is teaching at parables at this time. After uh, teaching for a while, he he were told in uh, the end of Mark four. After Christ had taught with parables, on the same day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. So, um, now they're on one side of the Sea of Galilee, um, likely, likely in Capernaum. And Christ is wanting to go over to the uh, western side of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, specifically to, to the area of the gatherings or the Gergesenes, as it's also known. And uh, they're in a boat, and they're crossing over. And uh, this is evening, so it's dark out, and um, they come upon a a huge, uh, a great windstorm is the word that uh, Mark uses. And windstorms are not uncommon at all on the Sea of Galilee. Um, The Sea of Galilee is about... Um, 600 feet uh, below the Mediterranean Sea, so it's it's situated in a valley. Um, it's fed by Mount Hermon, which is 9,200 feet above sea level. Um, uh, from the the uh, rain and uh, that comes on Mount Hermon. that's one of the uh, things that uh, feeds. Uh, uh, lake of Galilee. so uh, it's it 's in this valley, and then it 's surrounded by uh, these hills and so you have the, the warm air coming off of the lake of Galilee, and that that cold air coming from the higher regions and you know the, that air comes down into those those uh, ravines created by those hills, and that can quickly uh, create a very uh, sudden tempest as the as the those two different uh, the warm and uh, cold currents end up meeting together will talk about all the meteorological aspects of that but uh, th- that's that's about my understanding so book could probably probably answer a few more questions but so um but, but Christ has power over these wind and the waves. And we're also told he has power over demons. And he's in the land of the Gadarenes. And he comes across uh, two demoniacs there. There is um, um, some, some controversy because um, uh, Mark and Luke uh, both only say there's, there's one uh, demoniac, there. Matthew says there's two, and um, I, I think uh, 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 help a way to understand what's what's happening there, and is um, uh, is to see that Mark and Luke speak of one demoniac because he was the most prominent one. I think it's very likely that there uh, are indeed, yes, two demoniacs there, and, and Mark and Luke are only mentioning one because he was most prominent, and the, the more violent of, of the two. But Christ casts out uh, these demons, and he's quickly uh, uh, asked to leave the area after uh, those demons are put into uh, herds of, of swine. And... Uh, uh, goes back to uh, Capernaum and in Capernaum uh, he has the uh, daughter of a synagogue ruler a synagogue ruler would be one who was in charge of organizing the the uh, assembly, uh, assembling assembling of, of the synagogue is in charge of of arranging the services at the synagogue um, this ruler 's daughter has died. And he asks Jesus to go and uh, raise him. Oh, no, sorry. Um, uh, Backtrack a little bit. She hasn't died yet. Uh, She's very near death. And the synagogue ruler asks Jesus to go heal her. And Jesus, uh, on the way to go heal her, is delayed by a woman who has a discharge of blood. She's hemorrhaging blood and has been doing so for 12 years. Um, Because of of this medical condition, she would have been considered unclean. Um, um, But this unclean woman proceeds to go and touch Jesus because she has faith that Jesus is going to be able to make uh, her whole. And... Um total of this in in Mark chapter 5 um, and I wanna, so she touched Jesus and I want to specifically mention that the woman fearing and trembling uh, she's afraid uh, of what's happened because of the repercussions of an a, a unclean person touching a clean person Oh, no, I'm going to be in trouble now. Yes, I, I'm, I've been healed, but she's afraid that she's going to get in trouble for for, for touching uh, Jesus, who was clean and, and was afraid that uh, uh, he would be angry. But uh Lord says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But this delay in Jesus' travels now means that uh, this uh, rulers and agogerius his daughter, is now dead. And... Um, Uh, We're told in Matthew 9.23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, um, so everyone's everyone's, uh, thinking, oh, this this daughter is is, is dead. Uh, The the professional mourners are there even. We've got the flute players uh, making uh, sad music. Um, But Jesus comes in and... It says, make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And uh, and the people respond with, uh, uh, you know, criticizing Jesus. No, she really is dead. And and Jesus tells the crowd to leave. And he keeps Peter, James, and John and the parents there. And he raises the daughter. And they're told not to go and tell this miracle to anyone. Um, Next we have two blind men Healed. Uh, we're going to see that Jesus is likely at this point on his way from Capernaum down to uh, Nazareth. And uh, we're told that um, he departed from Capernaum and he sees two uh, men, blind men, on the way crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when Jesus gets to a house, uh, both of them come into the house with Jesus and Jesus touches their eyes. And heals them. And he also tells them not to tell anybody about the miracle. And then we have this uh, mute demoniac shortly after that. uh, Well, immediately after these blind men are healed. uh, A mute demoniac was uh, brought to him. And um, he was healed as well. All right. So after after this, uh, Jesus is in Nazareth, and he's just been rejected by his hometown. Uh, he's preaching in the city of Nazareth, and and uh, the people in Nazareth uh, ask, you know, isn't this just you know the son of Joseph, just this carpenter? What is he doing, teaching us? And um, you might recall that uh, uh, something we've talked about something very similar happening last time, where they even threatened to throw Jesus off of a cliff uh, because of his teaching in Nazareth. But Jesus uh, sends out. Uh, the twelve, he commissions them. He gives them power over uh, demons, power to cast out spirits, power to preach, and they go out into various cities uh, preaching. Um, after that, uh, uh, well, around this time, John the Baptist is, is executed at a, a feast. Uh, he's executed by Herod Antipas. Um, and. Um, um, uh, um, Jesus uh, hears of this and uh, right when Jesus hears of it, the the disciples return and maybe the disciples have heard of of this execution as well and uh, they all gather to Jesus and how Um, what they had taught and the wonders they had performed. And he tells them to go and aside and rest in a deserted place for a while. Um, We're told in Mark 6.30, uh, for there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So Christ is recognizing, yes, you, you do ministry, but there's also a need for rest. And encouraging his disciples to, to rest uh, from their faithful labors. But here, um, um, you know, you look at the different accounts of this in the gospel. So just about on the feeding of the 5,000. And it can be a little confusing how each of the gospel accounts speaks of this. Um, Luke is, is very descriptive. And he says... He went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Now, a lot of scholars trip up on this idea of a deserted place. Bethsaida, this is this is Bethsaida. Uh, it's lush. It's green. It's fertile. It, um, deserted can have the idea of wilderness or a desert. This obviously isn't uh, a desert, and so the question is, what's being spoken of here? Now, the other gospel accounts—Matthew, Mark, and John—don't mention Bethsaida specifically, but Luke very specifically mentions Bethsaida. And so, um, I think the way around us is, in using that word "deserted," he's not speaking of of the um, climate or or you know, the, like a desert place like we might think of but he's speaking of it in terms of this is a solitary place and we are told there are cities around uh, certainly cities around this deserted place you know, when the miracle of the 5,000 is uh, the disciples say oh well, Jesus let these people go and uh, they can go to the cities and, and be fed so uh, this is not a, a deserted place in terms of wilderness it's a solitary place it's a place where It's outside of a city. It's a a place where they'd be able to get some rest from people and and rest. And and this makes sense, too, that they would go to... And if you're wanting a a rest from people, you're not necessarily going to want to go into wilderness. Uh, You want to go to a place where you can actually uh, relax and rest and uh, be uh, nourished and fed. But um, another important thing here is that... um, um, So here's, here's Bethsaida. Um, the uh, place is likely just off of the river. So what happens is that the disciples likely go up in their boat up the river um, at... Um, um, the people all flock to Jesus, and Jesus performs the miracle of the feeding of, of the 5,000 men. That's not speaking of women and children, of which, you know, he could probably double the number, potentially, if it was 5,000 men. You can imagine uh, at least 5,000 women and children as well, so feeding of about 10,000. Um, but um, this is maybe where it gets a little confusing because the um, each of the gospel accounts narrate something slightly differently because after the feeding of the five thousand, Jesus goes and walks on water, and um, and how it's how it's described can can uh, be a little confusing. So, Mark fourteen, I'm sorry, Matthew fourteen says when they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. This is after Jesus has walked on water, so Gennesaret's over here. Um, um, and uh, Mark 6 uh, 53 also says when they had crossed over they came to the land of Gennesaret but Mark 6 45 says so this is right after the, the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 I'm sorry if this is, is confusing um, um, but after the feeding of the 5,000 Jesus tells his disciples to immediately uh, get into a boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida So, sort of, well, isn't Jesus already in Bethsaida? Why is Jesus now commanding his disciples to go to the other side to Bethsaida? So, the way I I think is what's happening here is, as the disciples are somewhere around here, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He tells them to go to Bethsaida. So, they're going down... uh, in um, the river in their boat. They're going to the, the area of Bethsaida and we're told that it's several miles away that they're on the Sea of Galilee they come upon uh, a storm and, and there's a storm in a sense changes their plans to go to walking on the water and he meets his disciples on the Sea of Galilee And they end up down in the area of Gennesaret. So, in a sense, ignore ignore this map. Uh, I I, I disagree with what they're saying here. Um, So, the route is likely Bethsaida to Genesaret. Now, uh, uh, they're in Gennesaret, and we're told in, going back a little bit, John 6, uh, Safiens of the 5,000, that's right around the time of the Passover. So now Jesus is Gennesaret. he heaps in Gennesaret, then he likely goes down to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. and that's, in a sense is the end of his, his first year of ministry. We're not told in the text in biblical text that he go, go, does go down to, to Jerusalem, but, um, uh, so, um, but uh, uh, gospel writers don't, don't include that, but nice. He, any questions I know I went over time so I apologize well, let's close with a word of prayer let's pray Lord we thank you for the life of Christ we thank you for our Savior's power uh, to raise others from the dead and not just others but himself and what a, a encouragement that is for our faith that we too can know with certainty that we, we will rise again from the dead That our earthly bodies, though they are uh, destroyed in the grave, will be resurrected. And we will be um, um, brought into fellowship with our Savior in everlasting life in heaven. Lord, we thank you for this and we pray that you bless our worship this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.